listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. Amen. I am, every time we sing that song, I just can't get through without crying. So sorry about that. Working on that. Um, so my name is Mark, like we said, I'm a doctor, like there's like five people that don't know that here, so for those of you who didn't know that, I'm a doctor, they keep saying that. So anyways, um, being a doctor, I, I've, this series has been something that I've been really looking forward to. I don't know about you all out here, but um, um, mental health is something that's, that's a burden, um, you know, for me as well. My heart breaks for, for those who suffer, as well as those, um, as, the, as well as kind of the the way that the response has been from the church for, for a lot of years uh, around this, this issue. And so I'm really excited to kind of share today the, the scientific, somewhat scientific um, side of this because I think that it's been really, really uh, important for all of us to understand. So last week, Jason um, shared his own story. He talked really about um, his own st- struggle with, uh, with this, um, this issue for himself. And I was really... Um, thankful that he was able to be so open and honest. I don't know about how you guys took that, but going home, I would thank you so much for sharing that story. Because I went home at the end of that and said, wow, um, you know, to have a leader be able to be open about that um, and be vulnerable, um, that's who we want to be as Christians, is be open with each other and vulnerable. And this is something that a lot of times people aren't really excited to be, be talking about, right? I'm really proud of all of you for coming back after last week. So, because um, this, is, this is really tough stuff to talk about. So it's not really easy and comfortable, and I just want to acknowledge that. So t- as the preaching team, um, Jason and Ricardo and I have kind of really focused and honed in on why are we doing this? What is the purpose of this, this um, ser- series this week? And there's three reasons, okay? There's three objectives, I and mean, we're going to just be really upfront with them. First, we want to help people understand what the Bible has to say about mental health. And second, we want to break the stigma that's attached to mental health within the church, okay? And finally, we want to present a Christ-centered perspective, a Christ-centered perspective on this subject. And so... I'm going to do my best to get through that today. Um, to be honest, like I said before, the church hasn't been really good, not this particular church per se, but the church in general hasn't been great about kind of understanding mental illness and accepting kind of mental illness as a real thing. And I, I really grew up myself with this kind of skeptical view of mental illness. I'm not going to blame it on my parents because they're sitting right here, but... Um, <laughs> No, it wasn't my parents' fault because I think it was probably true of all of society and a lot of church culture and a lot of just in general, we didn't understand mental illness that well. And because we didn't understand it, we were scared of it. And because we were scared of it, we kind of shun it and we make it a stigma and we make it, make it scary. And, um, and I grew up about it uh, in church really feeling like that. And... Hiding things like that bring, breeds fear, right? Whenever you hide something, it's, it, makes, it makes you worry about or fear, fear about it. And um, we're all fearful, really, of the unknown. We're fearful of, of what's out there that we don't understand. And because for all I knew, everyone I knew was normal, uh, right? I mean, the people at my church, they were totally normal. There was nobody who was struggling with this stuff. Um, my friends were normal. My family, it's totally normal. Little did I know that 
that wasn't true. Um, especially my sister. I'm totally kidding. She's not. Uh, we have a little sibling rivalry we're working. We're working through that. But um, no, truly, I, I never remember confronting this issue of mental illness until I was in medical school, actually. Um, and the story that I remember vividly was like, and this is going to not show me in a great light, so just bear with me. I, I actually found a bottle of, of Prozac in my roommate's uh, medicine cabinet. Don't, don't ask me why I was looking in his medicine cabinet. I don't know. But, um, but I found a bottle of Prozac in, in my um, roommate's uh, medicine cabinet in medical school. And I remember, like, freaking out in my, inside because I, I never met a crazy person, much less had one living in my house. And I know that's like a naive way of thinking about it. So please don't, don't like, if, if, you're, if you're taking Prozac, please don't, don't judge me because that's how I, was grown, that's how I grew up. That's how I, how I, I thought about it. And so I was really, tr truly, honestly worried about, you know, what is... Uh, What's going to happen? Like, are we going to be like dissecting a cadaver and he's going to go all freaky on me and start crying or something? I just did not understand mental illness at that point. And, um, and I and also it's just weird because I was looking at him differently because he didn't know that I knew, right? So I'm sitting there like, like looking at him and, and just thinking, you know, what's, dif what's, what, what's different about this? And um, eventually I, I did kind of come to know him a lot more and he, he discussed with me why he's taking this medicine and how it really helped him to get through his anxiety that he was struggling with and um, you know I learned a lot obviously in those in those four years of medical school and it's funny because I, I actually became so excited and really just amazed by how um, the medications helped people to heal from mental illness, that I was actually really close to becoming a psychiatrist in that third year of medical school. I went through my psychiatry rotation. I was just like, this is amazing. This is awesome. How God created our brains and how we can, we can help heal people through this, um, through this type of medication. And I almost, be, you know, I thought about becoming a psychiatrist and then I, then I saw the light and um, went into family medicine. But, but anyway, I, I think you know, my, my experience with mental health is probably similar to what many of you have had in terms of if you've never had mental illness before, you've probably like wondered what is it about this type, this, this illness that's different. Um, and secondly, if you have and you're struggling with mental illness, which I know many people are, um, you're probably just as scared of it and just as kind of ashamed of it. And I want to talk about it today from the perspective of, of a scientific basis. And we're going to go through this pretty quickly, so I'm not going to be able to give you a whole psychiatry lecture today, and I know you guys were looking forward to that. Um, but I do want to say from, from somebody who's a recovering um, uh, stigmatizer, I guess you'd call it, of mental illness, um, it truly is okay to not be okay. How many of you all have felt this way about mental illness, about um, Prozac? I mean, how many of you have maybe been like me and, and a little bit scared of it or a little bit stigmatizer. I think there's, there's a lot of us. So I'm just, I'm, I'm glad it's not just me. Um, because maybe you have a family member or a spouse or a child or maybe a coworker who struggles with this significant mental health disorder and, and you're scared to talk about it or you're, you're scared you might treat them differently. And maybe you're dealing with, your, with it yourself like I talked about and you don't want anybody to find out because you're worried about somebody like me 
wondering why you're taking Prozac. And I, I can totally understand that. So I really want to break down those walls and those stigmas today and, and, and really want to take this biblical approach towards people who are suffering. And I want to take the same approach that Jesus took towards those who were suffering from mental illness. How many of you guys grew up like believing that God and science weren't compatible, like that we were at odds, right? Or maybe that, that maybe not at odds, but maybe, maybe the science is out to try and disprove God. Okay, we'll just say it that way. And did you, would, you, would it surprise you to know that actually the first people that were subscribing to the scientific method were, were actually Christians? It was, it was actually the Christians that, that tried to understand God in a way that made sense because they saw science as a way of explaining how God created the universe. And so I know we get into squabbles around science all the time, whether it's evolution or abortion or global warming. I, I don't know. We, we like to get into these arguments around science, but if you really look at science, it's a way of understanding God. That's how I see it. And I think that in our society, there's, there's a lot of, of this, what we talked about, this kind of like butting heads between science and, and God, and, and it's just not, not, doesn't need to be that way. And a lot of times we, we, we take this um, into this, this realm of mental illness because we're fine with, with science when we're dealing with, with regular stuff. Like, like for instance, this, this week I had um, my, my uh, son, Ethan, uh, he, was, uh, he, he was sick. He had a fever. In the middle of the night, you know, he had a fever and he started getting a rash and my wife's like freaking out and she calls the doctor, which is me, yeah. and, and she says, what do I do? I, I don't know what to do. He's got a fever. He's got a rash. And I told her what most doctors tell you is just take Tylenol and call me in the morning when I'm awake. Um, <laughs> and maybe, you know, when, whenever you have your child sick, you, most of us don't hesitate to go and, and ask a doctor, how can we help, how can we fix this? I mean, whether you, you know, cut the chin, cut his chin, or he broke a bone, or um, anything like that, we, we definitely pray for healing, we definitely call to God to help heal, but we also use the science that, that doctors have to help heal as well, right? So when we're talking about physical things, and especially when we're talking about physical things with our with our loved ones and especially our children, we're fine with the scientific way of thinking, right? But we often lose that belief in science and how it works when it comes to mental illness. We switch from the belief in doctors to just believing that we have a better explanation for this, that we all have it figured out, that, that it just, those, those aren't exactly the same. You know, there's the mental side and then there's the physical side and they're different. And that's, as we've kind of come to understand the scientific basis of mental health, it's not true. There's not really a complete separate diff different way of thinking about it. And I understand that sometimes that's controversial to say. Um, but I just want to kind of go through, through this a little bit for you from the biblical perspective. So let's, let's uh, you know, not make the mistake of, of having this stigma around, around uh, the, the mental health issues of, of our of our world, okay? So let's talk, let's see what God says about it. And in order to kind of go from the, um, throughout, for the biblical perspective for this issue throughout the whole of, of the Bible, 
we're going to have to start at the very beginning. And, and I'm going to go from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. And it won't take very long, I promise. <laughs> I'm a doctor, trust me. I know what I'm talking about. So, in Genesis 1, verse 1, you probably know this verse, even if you haven't been to church before. Um, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of you all believe that? And if you don't, it's okay, but most everyone, even if you're not a Christian, believes that God created something or there is some kind of creator. And if we start with that premise, I think we need to start looking at how can we, how can we evaluate how God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, if God created the heavens and the earth and we understand that there's, there's, there's atoms and molecules and physics and chemistry and biology that God created, Again, like I talked about, that's what drove those, those early Christian scientists to say, not Christian science, I'm sorry, scientists who happened to be Christian, um, to really look at everything that God created and say, how does it all work? It's amazing. And if God created gravity and physics and all of these physical laws in order to order the universe, then what did he do after that? He created humanity. He created us. And if he created the human body, then we need to understand the human body and how it works. So I'm going to give you a quick science lesson kind of mixed with the Bible lesson on mental illness. And I know that many of you probably fell asleep in science class and so I'm trying to make this fun and quick. Um, and usually the easiest way to describe science is by going through pictures, okay? So um, I'm going to give you a, a quick picture of, of your brain. This is your brain. And, and this is your brain on drugs. And that is your brain with a side of order uh, or bacon, uh, on, of bacon, okay? So any questions? Where's the bacon? Yes. We had a lot of bacon this weekend. But anyways, so uh, that was just a fun commercial that I remember from my childhood. But we'll keep, actually, this is your brain right here. So, um, and this is your brain on neurotransmitters. There's a lot of things up there. I'm sure you guys have some questions. Um, but I'm going to explain it a little bit and I'm not going to make it too, too, too boring, I hope, um, for you. So um, let's talk about uh, if we zoom in on that brain, you're going to see something pretty cool. Isn't that cool? Somebody asked me, is that like a, a galaxy? far, far away. These are what we call neurons. Aren't they cute? They're cute. I, I think they're cute. Um, there are a hundred billion. I can't believe that's true. I keep looking at it. I looked it up. It's a hundred billion of these cells in your brain. hundred billion. How many stars in the Milky Way galaxy? There's a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. If you zoom in on your brain, there's a hundred billion nerve cells in your brain. Isn't that incredible? And they connect together in, things, in, in a little uh, connection that we call a synapse. And a synapse is a, is, a, is a little connection between these neurons. And there's a hundred, and, there's a hundred tri trillion, a hundred trillion connections. There's a hundred billion neurons and a hundred trillion connections between all the nerves in your brain. Isn't that incredible? To me, this looks like, like 
Star Wars, um, like something from Star Wars, except that I don't look at, watch the movie Star Wars, so I, it might not look anything like Star Wars, but I imagine Star Wars might look like that. And if you look at those little droplets, and that's actually kind of probably an artist's rendering of them in the middle there, but uh, that's what we call the neurotransmitters. That's the connection between the, the two nerves, and there's neurotransmitters between those synapses. And if you're not bored yet, that's how they talk to each other. That's how all of our brain, our, our brain uh, neurons talk to each other is through these synapses and through the neurotransmitters within your brain. So, isn't it amazing that for the most part, they work well. Like I, if I tell my right arm to move, it works. And if I tell my left arm to move, it, most of the time it works. Somehow if I tell myself to remember what to pick up at the store, I, sometimes I forget. But um, for the most part, and for the most part for, for all of us, this works really, really well. And I think um, King David said it really, really amazingly in the, in the Old Testament about this, this incredible body that, that we have and, and the, the mind that we have. He said this in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. He said, for you created my inmost being. Talking to God here. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you know that full well right now? Even when you're suffering, when you break stuff, when things aren't working right, do you know that your Father in heaven created you? And he, His works are wonderful. Do you know it full well? So God created the heavens and the earth. He created the physics and the chemistry and the biology and all of that. But he didn't stop there. He, David tells us he's praising God because God personally crafted us. He, all those hundred billion neurons, he wove them together. And each of the pieces of the brain, he put there just for their purpose. All the neurotransmitters from serotonin and dopamine created the DNA within that. They're all made to function perfectly by our Creator. And if David could have known, can you imagine if David knew what the, all the breadth and depth of what happened in the brain, how much more would he have just been praising God? So let's praise God for how amazing he made our brains. And see, I see the advancement of science and how we can find this stuff out as as just another way of uncovering God's heart. Can you imagine every day our heart beats and, and our brains get oxygen and it just works. And God set it up that way. So cool. So I forget sometimes how God is so awesome that he did this. He's smart enough to figure this all out. Even neuroscientists and all of us who've looked into this haven't figured out to the end uh, to the end point. You know, it, we don't get it all, but we're getting there. and We're trying to understand it more. And that was what David was getting at. But there's only one problem, though, with, with what happened here. See, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created Adam and Eve. And, uh, and, and the creation, you know, like I said, was intended to work perfectly. It was intended to kind of, all these things were supposed to line up, but then, then something happened. And Adam and Eve thought they could to do better by understanding, um, you know, getting their own knowledge. And, and they ate that 
that forbidden fruit, and, and you guys know the rest is history. Um, you know, God being God allowed that the natural um, consequences, the human consequences of what they wanted, that, that the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, he said, you know what, you want it? This is the consequences. And so because of that, we, as humanity, has now had to suffer. We get the effects of that sin, that original sin, and we all kind of deserve it. Um, but yet, that wasn't God's plan. I just wanted to make that clear. Like, if you're suffering from an illness, if you're suffering from disease, that wasn't God's plan. See, disease and death and destruction and chaos in our world and cancer and heart disease and epilepsy and mental illness, that, that's not part of God's plan. But unfortunately, it's part of the world that we live in because sin came in. And so let's get back to our science lesson. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, the neurotransmitters in the brain because I think it's important to understand that, that there's a reason why we, why we suffer from this stuff. And just as, it, as in diabetes and hypertension and every other disease, there's things that we can do to help, help with that. So let's bring up our brain on neurotransmitters one more time. And I just going to, I mean, you can see this and it's probably hard to read because it's kind of a busy slide, but there's multiple different neurotransmitters in our brains that, um, that help us understand or work, work or help our brains work well. And so the first one, um, you know, you can see up there is called acetylcholine. If you have too much of acetylcholine, it can sometimes cause you to be depressed. Um, and if you have too little, Sometimes it can lead to dementia, and that's one of the things that we find is that people with less acetylcholine can have dementia. How many of you kind of have a stigma towards dementia? I mean, that's, that seems more of a medical, medical disease. So sometimes, you know, you'll see how the crossover sometimes happens. We, we, we may uh, stigmatize depression, but dementia we just think is a sad thing that happens but yet they're still both related to acetylcholine. Um, dopamine is another one. Um, if you have too much of dopamine in that frontal lobe, you can sometimes lead to schizophrenia. If you don't have enough of, of dopamine, sometimes that'll, that'll lead to depression. And in fact, if, if you've ever seen somebody with Parkinson's, the reason they have Parkinson's is because their dopamine receptors don't work in their brain. It's a sad disease because it's like neurologically debilitating and eventually you know, can, can kill people. Third thing there is serotonin. I think this is like the, the big winner of, uh, of our, at least our current understanding of depression, especially, but also OCD. And serotonin is a, is a neurotransmitter that if you don't have enough of it, can lead to those depression OCD symptoms. And we have those, the, the Prozac that my friend was taking that particularly targets serotonin. It's a serotonin, um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Now I'm putting you all to sleep. So I'm going to get through these, the rest of these really quick, but there's GABA, which is also related to anxiety. There's norepinephrine, which uh, if you have too much of it can cause schizophrenia. If you don't have enough of it, it can cause depression. And then adrenaline. I think this is an interesting one because I think we sometimes think of anxiety disorders as just not having enough faith in, in God. But do you guys know when... Um, when a lion jumps out at you, I don't, I don't know how many of you have met a lion before. <laughs> our brain, no, exactly, but, but our brains are, are, are meant, are created to have a certain response when, when lions jump at you. And that's the fight or flight response. You're supposed to run. And that's adrenaline working in your system. But the problem with anxiety disorder is that those, 
neurons are firing out your adrenaline saying, you got to fight or flight. And yet there's no lion. There's nobody coming to chase you. And it feels like you're going to die if you have anxiety. And I know that some of you have, may have felt that way and felt like, well, I just don't have enough faith. I just don't believe in God. But sometimes the neurochemistry is just not working right. And we need a doctor to help you. And, and I've, I've actually was researching a little bit about what Christianity and what some Christians say about uh, neurotransmitters. And it's dangerous to look on the internet, because, especially if you're a doctor, because um, you know, there's some characters on there. And uh, they had, there was this one website, it was just, a, just sticks in my mind, that uh, you know, had, had like graphics from um, MS Word 1997. And they were just, uh, you know, it was, like, it was like this old school website. It's like, but it's like, neurotransmitters are a way of the pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, taking over your, your brain. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of hocus pocus. And, and I, you may feel that way. And, and, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make a blanket statement here, but... Um, but I don't know, I don't want you to believe in some of that stuff. I mean, hopefully you'll, you'll trust the doctors and the scientists on this stuff because it's, it's true, it's real. Um, so a lot of times we need to be convinced with our own eyes. You could say, yeah, I can tell you all this and you can see all the, all the studies that we've done, but sometimes you want to be convinced with your own eyes. And so I'm gonna, uh, there's a new technology that's been, that we've been using called functional MRI studies. And we've actually been able to see that not only is it about neurotransmitters, but parts of your brain, the anatomy of your brain actually work. Some people work better and some people who are struggling with mental illness, actually they don't work as well. And so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you a couple pictures of, of, func of functional MRI studies. And I'm not gonna get too into details of it, but I think you know, you'll agree that you'll understand that there's a difference between the brains of people who have mental illness and those who don't. What I really want you to say, see is some of the statements that, um, that people who've been struggling with this sometimes uh, hear, um, because it's some of those stigmatizing words that you'll, you'll hear. And the first one is, is um, the disease of depression. So if you look on your left, there's a normal brain, and, and you can see on the right, somebody who has depression, they don't have the frontal, um, the uh, cortex of their brain is not lighting up as much. It's like you're in this fog and, and your brain's just not quite working the way it should. And you see that and it's different and there's a physical difference between it and yet, that's what they hear. Get over it. Lots of people have it worse. How many of you have maybe heard that? Let's go to the next one. This is a normal brain on the right, on the left. And, the, and on the right is um, a PTSD brain. PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder when people who've seen things that, are, that, that have had trauma, they, 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 they can't function as well. That, that trauma just activates their brain in a different way. And, and, and you can see that there's a difference. And yet we sometimes say, what happened to you wasn't so bad. How about the next one? This is bipolar disorder. And people who have bipolar disorder sometimes speak quickly and, and, and spend money all the time and stay up late and can't, can't go to sleep and, and they, have, they have this, this uh, way of, of uh, what we call manic and this is, this is in the mania time when people are undergoing this manic um, part of bipolar disorder and you can see how the red zones are where, people, where things are going quicker where, where, the, where the brain is, is using up a lot more energy and you can see on the left you know, you got some places where it's red, but on the right, everything's going 
100 miles an hour. And you can see it on the MRI. But then people tell them, why can't you just control yourself better and act like a normal person? Isn't that sad? I mean, you could, if you saw somebody with a broken hand, you wouldn't say, like, why can't you just move your hand better? What's wrong with you? <laughs> but if you see somebody with a brain that's working differently, somehow we just think, you guys have to figure this out on your own. And I think it's sad. And we could go on all day showing these pictures, actually. It's fun, but you guys probably want to eat. And um, what's fascinating, though, is that those, those brain regions, they all have a normal function. But if they're overstimulated or understimulated, they, they also cause problems, just like the neurotransmitters. And it's simple, very, very similar to how we see um, uh, diabetes, actually. Because insulin gets produced in your pancreas, and your muscles and your liver all kind of deal with the, with the hormones and the insulin and the sugar in a way that allows everything to work fine if you don't have diabetes. But once you have diabetes, you have to take medicine in order to make those things work better. And, you know, okay, fine. So maybe you just want to disagree with me on this. And you just say, Doc, that's all great. I don't care what you have to say. I think these people are just, you know, people who are struggling with mental illness are, are just, you know, have something going on that they need, they need to work on on themselves. I still feel like we should treat people like Jesus would treat people. How, how about that? Let's just agree to that. So, I mean, if you've fallen asleep and just like, you know, I put you to bed, um, wake up here, because this is the part that really matters. Because I feel like we need to treat people with this, these issues just like Jesus would, with love and with compassion. Because Jesus never really separated the physical and the mental when he was healing people. He, he healed them all. He healed people from all sorts of illnesses. And so let's look at how Jesus treated these illnesses. So I'm going to look at a summary statement um, from, from Matthew. It was a summary statement because it, it, it's a statement in Matthew 9 of all of these people that Jesus healed. He healed a bunch of people in a row. And I'm not going to read through all of that. But at the end of that, Matthew, who was, who was there, he saw this stuff. He, he was an eyewitness to these accounts. He, he, he just had finished healing all this stuff. And, and there, was, there was blindness. There were seizures. There was somebody who couldn't speak who was mute. And there was demon possession. Jesus just healed all of this. And, and actually, people in those days would have thought just similarly to what we think about mental illness, that these diseases were something, something different, something special, something that, oh, I don't want to touch those. I don't want to deal with those things. And after Jesus does all this healing, it says this in the message version. I love this. Um, Matthew 9, verse 35 through 37. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He, he taught in their meeting places. He reported kingdom news. And he healed their diseased bodies. And he healed their bruised and hurt lives. So he didn't just heal their bodies. He healed all of it. And that's, how, that's the Jesus that we follow. That's the Jesus... We believe it. And when he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were. Like sheep with no shepherd. You see, Jesus saw these people who had diseased bodies and who had diseased, diseased minds in their lives and his heart broke for them. He had compassion for them. Not just those people that had particularly tragic medical circumstances, but all of them. And that's how Jesus sees our afflictions. And, and I know some of you probably think about mental illness and you think, they brought it on themselves. 
Maybe it was drug abuse or, or, or their thoughts just aren't right or their motivations aren't right or they don't have enough faith or whatever. And that's why they're sick. But the truth is that mind and the body and the spirit, they're all connected. There's a lot of crossover between physical and mental illnesses. And, and, and you know, I won't deny that behavior sometimes affects mental illness. But actually, behavior affects a lot of other illnesses too. I mean, people die from complications of diabetes every day right? People die from complications of heart disease every day, emphysema. And when people have these diseases, we don't sit there and think, yeah, they brought it on themselves. Maybe doctors think that, but I, I, most people don't think that. <laughs> we don't see them as sinful or flawed anyway. They, we just think of people who are suffering and sick, and that's what Jesus, that's how Jesus saw all of this. And again, the truth is, this isn't part of God's plan for our lives, really. This wasn't what he had set in, set in motion when he, when he planned the world, but this is what we're left with because of sin. And so we are all in a process of healing and getting better. Um, but the problem is, for most of us at least, the process of, of getting completely healed back to the, the, the way that God had planned it for our lives is it's not going to happen here on earth. In fact, the statistics are pretty grim on this. Uh, there's statistically, statistically speaking, there's like 0% of people who made it out of this world alive. Like, there, there, there was a few, like, there's a few reported cases way back in the Bible of people exiting the world through the clouds, but, but if you're hoping to be the next one, you got something coming to you. So <laughs> you're in trouble, really. Um, so at some point in our lives, we're going we're gonna to have a disease that's going to take us out of this world. And, um, you know, Paul, we've talked about Paul, who's the author of a lot of the New Testament. And he, he, um, he, he uh, wrote this, church, this letter to the church in Thessalonica. He, he wrote about the process we're all going through to, to, to be complete, to be whole, to, to be complete completely holy in Jesus. And I'm going to read this from the message translation again. First um, Thessalonians 5, verses 23 through 24. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, your spirit, your soul, and your body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. See, the, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, then he's going to do it. That's right. Come on. Right? So we're all in this process of meeting Jesus. And whether that's in our physical circumstances, in our mental health, in our own sin nature, we're all being completed to be holy or whole in Jesus Christ at the end of it all. And we may not make it out of here alive, but, but we have an expectation that God is making us whole. The God who created all of it, from the neurons to the stars, He is going to make us whole. In our spirit, in our soul, and in our body. And, and we're not finished yet. We're not finished yet. So what do we do with all of it? What do we do with all of this information? So for those of you who are dealing with mental health illness, 
I know there's a few of you in this room. I encourage you to go to your doctor. If nothing else, just, just go to your doctor and, and, and listen to what he has to say, or she has to say. Because there's many treatments for all of the neurochemistry that we talked about. Just like diabetes and heart disease and any other type of physical disease, medications are sometimes the answer. And I hope that by us going through this all today that you're going to feel okay with not being okay and having to take medications. Because it's, it's okay. From the perspective of a doctor, perspective of a pastor, perspective of all of you, I hope that you're going to see it differently. And sometimes, you know, the doctor may recommend, you know, therapy or, or exercise, and, and that's all well and good. I just want you to remember that you're all in a process of being made holy and whole by Jesus. So I'm actually asking you, if you have some symptoms of things that are, that are not right, just ask your doctor, please. Because I believe that Jesus can heal you, but it's not always on our timetable. And it often means taking medications that work through the creation that God made to make us better. And full recovery can take a lifetime. In fact, for all of us, our full recovery is going to take a lifetime. But in eternity, God will heal us perfectly. In progress, it can happen every day. So we're just asking for progress. And so for those of us who aren't dealing with these issues, like as a, for ourselves, but you see it in your family or your friends or somebody in this room or your neighbors, I know it's tough to kind of be up in people's business sometimes, to be all like, hey, how are things going with your you know, depression or your anxiety? And that feels kind of awkward. And I agree it's awkward because... Sometimes it's hard to kind of just go up to somebody in church and be like, hey, how's your, how's, how's your mental illness going? That's not quite what this room is actually meant for. Just putting people in rows is not where we have this discussion. Because it works a lot better to be in community with somebody closely so that you can share these things. Like my friend shared with me when I was, um, when I was in medical school. Those conversations need to happen in, in smaller groups. And, and it's, I know this is a shameless plug, but this is why we are so intentional about getting people into living rooms and out of just sitting in rows here in church. Because you can't be open and honest and vulnerable without being in a group. So this Thursday, Teresa's sitting back there. If you haven't come to our Grow Gathering, I'm so sorry I have to plug this right now because it's so important. Because I'm not going to lie to you and say that's really easy to just talk about these things openly in a big room with 100 people or something. You've got to have a group that you're talking and building relationships to. And for those of you who aren't struggling with this, but who know somebody who is, or somebody who in your, in your group is dealing with this, we need you to pray and walk alongside of those in relationship. Yes, right. Those people who are suffering, we need you to be part of the process of healing for them. Because the biggest enemy of those who are suffering is shame and it's isolation. It's those two things. It's feeling ashamed of 
of, of opening up and is feeling isolated and, and, and scared to, to share it. So you need to kind of ask questions that are, that are kind of awkward sometimes, like, tell me what's your, what's your next step on your journey of your recovery towards, towards mental health? How can I help partner with you? How can I do, are you going to your doctor's appointments? I mean, sometimes those are difficult questions to ask and I totally understand it, but I see, I, I totally see why it could be awkward. But if we truly believe at this church that it's okay to not be okay, then we need to be willing to hear the awkward. We need to be able to, willing to sit with the awkward. Because Jesus wasn't afraid of it, right? Jesus wasn't afraid. And I believe that the church, the big C church, as well as the mission, needs to be at the forefront of breaking down these stigmas, these walls of shame and, and, and fear that surround mental health. I believe that we are uniquely positioned as a church to change the way that our culture sees this, to lead our culture to see people differently who are struggling with this, because we need to love people the way Jesus did. So I just encourage you to come back next week. Ricardo's gonna talk a little bit more about how we can deal with just the everyday anxieties and fears that we all, all struggle with. And uh, I don't want you to miss any of it, okay? Because it's okay not to be okay. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. God, I just, I, I am so in awe of you and what you did to create me, to create the world, to create everything in it from the atoms and the molecules to the neurons, to the synapses, to the neurotransmitters. God, I just see how amazing you are, how wonderful you are. And I just praise you for that. God, I'm so sorry that it got messed up. And God, I just, I just ask that for all of us in this room who are struggling with depression or anxiety or addiction, bipolar disorder, PTSD, or OCD, ADHD, God, just there's so many things that can go wrong with what you had planned. God, I just thank you for science and for the ability to, to just understand how to make it better, how to make it better, or at least deal, deal with it a little better. And God, I just ask for those in this room that that have never really been able to, to admit this to themselves or admit this to, to a doctor, God, that you would help them to have the courage to take that first step. To, to start that healing process that you so desire for us. To start that journey towards wholeness that you're going to complete in the end. Jesus, as our ushers come forward today, I just ask that you would bless this time of bringing back to you what you've given to us so richly. 
God, we know that um, we have so much to be thankful for and grateful for in this, in this country, in this room. And God, I just ask that, um, that our offerings and our gifts would be pleasing to you, that you would see them as an expression of our love towards you, and that you would help to multiply them and spread that you have for us, the compassion that you have for us outside of this room to the city of Redlands, to those people who need to hear this story, this gospel, this good news that you, that you died for us, that you care for us, and that you love us so much. God, help us to reach ends of the earth with this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.